The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined once again this week by That So Jesse. What's going on, Jesse? Hey, what's going on, Don? Hey, nothing much, nothing much. Just another Sunday night recording after some Sunday NFL football. And we're joined once again by the Libra Icon. What's going on, Dwayne? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Glad to be back and enjoying these games. Glad to have you, man. Glad to have you. Another score can be found on Twitter. You can follow us at KTSPod. You can also find us on our website at www.cspn.us. We can also be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. So we're going to get right into it. NFL, um, you know, Sunday, uh, the game's just ended. We have one more to go, Steelers and Ravens. We'll preview that a little bit later. But for the games that were played in the week that was, we'll start on last week where we had some suspensions handed down, where we had Gronk given a Dusty Rhodes elbow drop um, to a Buffalo player, put him in concussion protocol. And then we had the Monday night raw battle between the Steelers and the Bengals. Uh, hard hits. We had the scary injury to Ryan Sejir, uh, which he had to get carted off. We had Juju Smith-Schuster uh, lay a devastating block on Avantes Perfect. He had to get carted off. Uh, we saw Antonio Brown take a nasty helmet-to-helmet uh, helmet, uh, shot to the head. And so that led to, of course, suspensions to be handed down from the NFL. And once again, the NFL seems to get the suspension game wrong as Gronk gets one game for delivering an elbow drop to a defenseless player that injured him. And Juju Smith-Schuster gets one game for delivering a block in the flow of action that just happened to get Vontez Burfitt carted off. And the gentleman from Cincinnati who gave uh, Antonio Brown the helmet-to-helmet hit, he actually got his suspended uh, suspension waived. So, Jesse, I'll start with you. Seems like this is the, you know, way the NFL does this, they just can't get suspending players right. doesn't matter if it's domestic abuse or, um, you know, uh, it's plays on the field. Just kind of what's up with their inconsistency between Gronk and Juju Smith-Schuster. Dwayne, you want to jump in right quick? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, as usual, it's really disappointing that these suspensions can never get right. And, um, the hit on Burfict, I mean, given Vontez Burfict's history of dirty plays over the years, this was kind of a karma for him. I hate to say that, but it's true. And it was in the flow of plays, a football play. A, I thought it was a legal block that, you know, just ended up being a bad injury. And so the NFL, I don't know what they see in appealing things or, or, um, their process of suspension, but somewhat, there needs to be some kind of appointed disciplinarian that has a consistent, what's the word, consistent rulings, like be consistent with what merits a suspension, what doesn't. That's why I got, that's all I got on that one. All right. Jess, you want to give your uh, opinion on the uh, suspensions of Gronk and Juju? Um, as Dwayne said, they're not going to, I don't really expect consistency out of the NFL with, um, with suspensions or with disciplinary things anymore because they've shown more than often than not that do it on the fly. So, I mean, with Gronk, I 
could see that not being, I mean, I saw that not getting overturned, and then I thought the Schuster it would not be overturned, but it's just another day, and let's make up the rules as we go along. All right. As for the game itself, the Steelers were able to come back, and like the Bengals usually do, they couldn't muster any offense in the second half after getting out to a good start against the Steelers. The Steelers came back, won the game on a late second field goal. Um, of course, um, you know, the big story besides the big hits and maybe was kind of the downside of this, you know, the game was uh, what happened to Ryan Sejir, um, made a tackle, um, had his head down, and uh, basically his spine got compressed and he had a spinal contusion. Um, he had to have some more surgeries later on this week um, to stabilize his spine. So um, he said to be making some more progress and, you know, things are just you know, going to have to take time. So hopefully uh, prayers up to him um, being able to, you know, walk again and, and just having all functions um, of his limbs and, you know, just be on football because that was a very scary sight, uh, at least for about 15 or 20 minutes. So our thoughts are with him. Uh, we go to the next big set of news that happened. It was the New York Giants. They fired Bob McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese early on uh, Monday morning. So, Jesse, um, how do you think it played out? Do you think Bob McAdoo got there before everybody else to make sure the key card still worked? And he was just sitting in his office waiting for everybody else to get there to see how long he could make it? I mean, I thought that's how I would play it. Um, yeah, just sit there. It's like, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Just let them hand out your punishment and, you know, face the music as it comes along. But, I mean, with uh, firing, as we, I mean, as we'll talk about later, will firing the coach fix, you know, what's going on in the field? No. So that's why I'm not really sure if firing him last, uh, on Monday was the right deal. But I, you know, it was was a move that was definitely coming. It might have been um, McAdoo hitting the eject button on his own career because he knew that probably the only thing that would maybe sour his uh, outlook for the rest of the season would be to do the unthinkable and bench Eli. And so he did that, and the next thing you know, he's up out of there. So um, I'll ask this to Dwayne. Dwayne, we know that Eli will probably be moving on maybe possibly to Jacksonville. There's, you know, ties there with Tom Coughlin. They're in need of a quarterback um, who can maybe get them over the hump with the defense that they have. Who do you feel is the right fit to come in and coach the New York Giants? They're the first team to fire their coach, so they'll have a leg up on the coaching search. Um, Who do you think makes a good fit for them? Wow. Well, it's going to depend on who they bring in as a GM. So, so. Really, the GM that comes in will bring in someone who's pretty um, close with the coaching uh, carousel. So I can't really say, honestly, who would be a good coaching fit without seeing who's a good GM fit. And so, and with the fact that it's going to be hard to follow Jerry Reese's track record, I mean, he did get them a couple Super Bowls and things like that. But it's just going to be one of those things where you need to do an extensive GM search first and then, and then let the GM do what he needs to do to bring in the right coach. I think if I get a better idea who comes in as a GM, then I can actually answer who the coach would possibly be. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, the next big off the field news was Roger Goodell signed his new $200 million contract. 
Uh, it's heavily uh, laced with incentives. Uh, most people feel that these are incentives that he will be able to reach. So, you know, he'll more than likely make his 200 million. So basically in the end, it was Roger Goodell over Jerry Jones. So now that Roger Goodell has signed his contract, how has the balance of power shifted in the upper brass of the NFL? Dwayne, do you think now that, you know, Roger Goodell's got the biggest stick now and he can, you know, get control back over the owners? Or do you still think it's kind of like a, a Jerry Jones over there, like the NWO plotting a hostile takeover? It's probably going to be Goodell having the power once again. The owners pretty much ended up giving him what he wanted, what he was seeking, and the incentives along with it. So pretty much everything is back to Goodell's dictatorship. He already has control over the discipline actions of the players, which the players stupidly gave him in the last CBA. And now the owners who were led by Jerry Jones wanting him out, end up giving him what he wants. Part of, I'm sure he wasn't part of that group, but the majority of the owners signed off on it. And I'm sure there were probably people who were with Jerry Jones that probably signed off on it as well. So they just pretty much gave the man permission to continue his dictatorship over the NFL. All right. Then we turn our sights to Thursday Night Football as we had at NFC South showdown between the Saints and the Falcons. Um, probably amongst the fans, one of the, you know, better rivalries, one of the nastier rivalries, too. Those those fans really, they say some really harsh things to each other. Um, but it was uh, Matty Ice shaking off a terrible first half. We had three interceptions, bounced back, and uh, led the Falcons down the field. They took the lead, and the defense stepped up, intercepted Drew Brees in the end zone, and the Falcons beat the Saints, so they not only remain alive in the wild card, but also sweeten their chances to win a division. So, Jesse, did you get a chance to see that game on Thursday night, by chance? I did. Um, it was, a lot of people make fun of, like, oh, it's, you know, the uh, the, the the Yanks getting it done, you know, with Matt. Matt Ryan. When Matt Ryan, Ryan. Matt Ryan was doing everything in his power to lose the game throughout, and then Drew Brees was doing you know, one last second, his first red zone interception in who knows how long to have to lose the Saints a game. So for me, it was really a battle of the Falcons and the Aints. And that's the game we got. And Sean Payton acting crazy. And it's just now you see Atlanta and New Orleans back at, it, at each other's throats again. So it's fun. Now, Dwayne, you have a vested interest as, you know, your favorite team resides in this division. I know this was a game that you would rather see both teams lose, but having the Saints actually take this L actually helps you out um, as your team, you know, still has a slight chance to win the division. Uh, what was your take on uh, Drew Brees? Uh, losing, uh, losing Kamara in that game to a concussion definitely changed the outlook. Um, the Saints weren't able to quite control the ball as much in the second half, gave the Falcons some more chances with the football. Matty Ice finally cashed in. And then, like Jesse said, you know, Drew Brees gets in the red zone. You're like, oh, this is over. And uh, he made a mistake, and he never does that. Yeah, that that was – me personally, I would have loved to see both teams lose or the game end up in the tie somehow so neither team wins. But that doesn't work that way. So the game-changing moment was the Kamara – exiting the game with a concussion and, you know, the whole dynamic of the ball control that New Orleans has been 
known for all season was gone with that element missing. And then as for the red zone interception, I had a fantasy interest because Drew Brees is my quarterback, ironically. So when he threw the interception, I really don't know what he was seeing because when you look at it clearly, Josh Hill was not open at all. Um, I don't know if he misfired on it or what, but it costs them. But it does help the Panthers, especially since the Panthers don't have the tiebreaker over New Orleans. They do over Atlanta. Uh, with their with their win earlier this season, but they don't have the tiebreak with New Orleans. They lost both games to them, and these two, the Falcons and Saints, meet again in Week 16 in New Orleans. So that's going to be an interesting matchup there, especially with all the teams jumbled jumbled up together, one game separating first and third. I just think that um, Matt Ryan he finally got going. Devontae Freeman was able to run the ball pretty well as as well and I'm just glad that he got me points too but aside from that you know this was a game I thought there would be more points but the defenses really showed up all right now as of today's action as we record this on Sunday evening we had the Vikings visiting the Panthers and the Panthers rally after the Vikings make a comeback they were down 10 points uh going into the fourth quarter, made up the 10 points early in the fourth quarter. Uh, Cam Newton aided in that comeback by throwing an interception, but he bounces back on the next drive, busts up the middle for a 70-yard run, almost gets it to the end zone. Uh, Jonathan Seward then dives up the pile to give him the go-ahead 31-24 score, and the defense holds on, shuts down the Vikings on their last opportunity with the football. So, Jesse, I'll ask you. We've seen the Vikings now suffer this uh, loss in a shootout. Uh, They've kind of, you know, Case Keenum's kind of had his struggles a little bit. You know, he's thrown some interceptions. He's also thrown some touchdowns. So are the Vikings, you know, is the way to beat the Vikings is to try to get into a shootout or get the score up? Because it seems like they're having a, you know, a little bit of a problem scoring over 30. Right. Um, I didn't, you know, with the – Minnesota defense, I didn't really think it would play out that way. As someone who had the Panthers on the Panthers defense on the bench, um, sure, a shootout is great, but I also didn't see Minnesota's defense just not doing what they were supposed to do today. So that's how we ended up with a game like that. Yeah, Cam Newton and uh, the pass receivers for the Carolina Panthers really showed up today. They, they got a lot of big plays on the Vikings secondary. Um, the Vikings did a pretty good job shutting down uh, the run. They had one big run by Jonathan Stewart on a third and one, um, where, of course, he broke the line and there was nobody there. Uh, so he got a 70-yard touchdown. But, Dwayne, uh, what did you think about your team today? Um, very impressive win, especially against, like Jesse said, uh, one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, I was impressed. I thought that they had a game plan executed well. I also thought, you know, forcing Keenum into those interceptions uh, worked out to their favor, getting the ball back. Jonathan Stewart looked like 2009 Jonathan Stewart, uh, turning the clock back a little bit. And also the Cam Newton run, uh, someone needs to check Anderson Sandejo's ankles after that play. I also thought that I also thought that the game plan was pretty much, you know, get the ball down the field, let Cam be Cam, you know, and that the end result is a victory, especially against a team that, you know, could end up with a tiebreaker. So you get the head to head victory over them and then and then if you overtake the 
Saints, we can we can make some noise. So it's really just um, trying to get to get through these last uh, few weeks of the season, and then see how it plays out from there. All right. Down in Jacksonville, we had the Seahawks versus the Jaguars. Uh, Russell Wilson tried to rally them late, but the Jaguars hold on for the 30-24 to victory. Uh, but the aftermath of this game may be what most people will talk about as uh, it got uh, very ugly as a player for uh, Seattle was ejected. I started getting into it with the fans uh, from the Jaguars. Uh, someone from the stands threw something at the player. It hit the player, and then the player rushed the stands, tried to get into the stands. Uh, luckily, he was restrained, and we didn't have a bigger incident than it was. So first, Jesse, we'll talk about the actual football game as Jacksonville. I mean, there we may have to start believing in Blake Bortles and Jacksonville Jaguars as maybe, just maybe, a serious contender to not only it looks like they're going to make the playoffs comfortably, but maybe win a game or two. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we've been we've been seeing the Jacksonville defense just building into what they've become over the last few seasons. So seeing that is not a surprise to me. It's just now they're, the whole offense making Blake Bortles look like a half competent quarterback. That's what's really weird to me about the Jacksonville Jaguars, and not and that's what's really keeping me from being like, oh yeah, they could. I mean, right now, I think aren't they poised to win the AFC South at this point? Oh yeah, by far. And isn't Blake Bortles statistically the best quarterback in that division right now? Uh, winner by default, I think. Yeah, uh, the fact, like I said, they propped him up to make him look like on like a, a marionette string to make him look half decent and just not lose games is amazing to me about that team. Yeah, so they've definitely, you know, going back to an old school formula um, for net, uh, controlling the ball, running the ball, their defense being very opportunistic, causing turnovers, and, you know, sometimes turning those turnovers into points or getting them close enough where Fournette can cash in in the red zone. Um, the way we're going to shift over to the showdown in the NFC as it was the Eagles going out west to visit the Rams. Uh, we got the shootout that I think everybody thought we were going to as the number one and number two draft picks from last year faced off head-to-head. Um, unfortunately, Carson Wentz did not finish this game. He got injured in the third quarter on a play that did not count. Um, he finished that drive where he did lead the Eagles to a touchdown. Um, but unfortunately, as reports are coming out early this evening, is that he may have injured his ACL. Nick Foles did guide the Eagles to a 43 35 victory but of course um you know the talk will be about the season maybe season ending injury to Carson Wentz so Dwayne first will tackle the impressiveness of the Eagles going on the road winning this game a game that they jumped out to a fast lead Rams battled back Rams did actually take the lead in this game uh after of course Wentz went down but uh like I said Nick Foles rallied the Eagles back um the spread was a little bit wider uh, then it probably should have been. It got a late pick six when the Rams were trying to do something with not a lot of time on the clock left. So just talk about now the Eagles, um, you know, clinching the NFC East and basically setting themselves up to be the number one seed in the NFC throughout the playoffs. Yeah, it's disappointing. Um, you know, a lot of people, if people follow me for a long time. They know I've been high on Carson Wentz since he got drafted. And it's really disappointing to see that, you know, his season is done, especially after 
how impressive that this team has been. And the Rams really missed a lot of opportunities to overtake the lead. And, well, they took the lead, but not hold on to it. And and so this was a lot of a hard lesson for them, in a sense. And, you know, we got the shootout we anticipated. Uh, Nick Foles, you know, he he did get them back in front. He did lead them to a win. But it's going to be interesting to see how it goes forward. I can say, though, I, I don't know how it will be, you know, Foles gets back in the lineup or, you know, whatever happens to Carson Wentz. Hopefully it's not a torn ACL. Maybe it's just something that you just shut him down for the season, get him ready for the divisional playoff. But if it is, it's kind of like the Eagles finally get something nice and the football gods just forsake them for some odd reason. And disappointing for them, but we'll see what happens, see how Nick Foles responds and how the Eagles respond going forward. All right. Now, Jesse, I'll let you talk maybe on the Rams' behalf. I think the Rams showed uh, a lot of promise again. Jared Goff uh, stepped up, brought him from behind. Uh, Todd Gurley also had a really good game uh, in this game today. So if Wentz is injured and, you know, he can't finish the season, um, would you like? Do you like the Rams' chances? Do you think that they're better than New Orleans or the Vikings? If you had to, you know, one game scenario. Hmm. Uh, that's a really tough question, just because I mean, looking at what the like the strengths of the of the Rams and the Saints, and well, with I, I thought were their strengths of well, they're still strongly just had one bad game of the Vikings. Um, I don't see why not, just because. Um, the NFL this season, since everyone's been getting injured, has just fallen off a cliff. So, man, I don't, I don't really know. I could, I mean, I could see the Rams going for that, you know, that first round by and home field advantage of the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with them on that spot just because why not, right? All right. So, um, hopefully, like uh, Dwayne was saying, it's not the dreaded ACL for Wentz. I mean, he's had such a brilliant season um, and Eagles fans are definitely riding high. So uh, maybe he's like, it's just a sprain and, you know, maybe he can miss five weeks and come back and play in the playoffs. So um, we do have a playoff caliber matchup tonight as we have that. So Jesse's Baltimore Ravens at home versus the dreaded Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Steelers coming off that physical game like we opened the show off with against the Bengals. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys bruised up, banged up. They're not going to be at their optimum playing, uh, you know, efficiency tonight. And then they have to go up against another one of their dreaded rivals, the Baltimore Ravens, and another hard-hitting black and blue game. So, Jesse, talk to us about the game tonight. Uh, what do you expect to see out of your Ravens to make the game close? And how can you steal a win tonight? Um, the only way I could see them winning, the Ravens winning this game tonight, is if by some miracle Marlon Humphrey kind of gets it together with Fields down the down the field. Um, after Jimmy Smith got injured, of course Marlon Humphrey came in his spot, and he was getting quite burnt. Not like I mean, toasted. Lightly, we got quite toasted. And then of course you have the Steelers playing with you know we love you Ryan Shazier, rightfully so because you know that was their teammate and. He was a big part of their, you know, his leadership over there. So I'm not seeing it for my football team tonight just because I don't trust my offense, even though I don't know where the hell last week's Joe Flacco came from. I don't 
see them. I don't see it coming back here unless some miracle happens. Um, Jace, James Harrison is somehow back from week seven. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come back in time for this game. Um, and like I said, the, deep, the, the secondary without Jim, Jimmy Smith, I don't know. So um, I predict a big aerial game for the Steelers. Um, hopefully I won't have to turn this television off too quickly in anger. And I guess, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel great about it. And I'm not really sure if they'll keep it close either. Just because, like I said, they're, it's, I feel like it's going to be a game you know, that's one in the air by the Steelers. Okay. Dwayne, uh, some quick thoughts on the Steelers and Ravens tonight. I have a couple thoughts. Um, one, I just need Le'Veon Bell to get me points. Um, and the second thought is it's going to be really a hard-hitting game because these two just don't like each other. It's always good television, good competition, but we'll just see how we'll just see how it plays out. Um, not really too much about. Not really too much to say about it. I just. I'll go with what Jesse said. She knows her team and her rivals better than me, so I want to go with what she said there. All right. This is Know the Score. We are brought to you by CSPN. You can find us at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. So we're going to shift the scene over to basketball. As in college, we had the number one, and number two ranked teams go down in successive days as Duke lost to Boston College on Saturday in their first ACC game of the season. And then the team who would presumably take over the number one ranking, number two, Kansas, got stunned at home by Arizona State. So, Dwayne, what in the world? Boston College with a bunch of threes. Um, they were just unreal in the first half, 11 for 15 from three-point line, builds up a lead. Duke made their classic run, but Boston College, they stayed hot in the second half, and they made their own run. Duke did not feed uh, Marvin Bagley Jr. in the second half, and Boston College comes away with the upset. So Duke's been kind of living on the edge, getting down in some of these games. They can't come back and you know from behind for some impressive victories. So this is just a bad day, or is this maybe, you know, the start of something to come where teams see that, you know, they can be beat and this is how you can do it. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're going to, I want to say this and Boston college isn't bad at all. They're seven and three on the season. They're five and no at home. And so when you are off to a good start in your non-conference schedule and you get the number one team in the land, you're going to be amped up at home. Your crowd is juice. Of course they want to see the best team at the time in the country come into play and they came out firing hitting shots duke i don't know if they were i think they might have been stunned by this run and also it was just one of those days where this was one of those days where the underdog at home came out with a upset win and sitting on top of the acc for now and we just got to give them credit and we'll see what Duke does to respond. We know they will respond. And shout out to Boston College. I was hoping I could talk a little bit more about my team, but I'll um, wait tough away for that question. So I'll uh, leave it at that. All right. Jesse, I'll turn it over to you. Um, your thoughts of you know, Duke 
getting their first loss of the season. Um, Boston College, you know, has kind of been the doormat, the ACC the past few years, but maybe Boston College is a little bit better, like Dwayne's saying, that than we have been giving them credit for, but it's still a, a shocking result. Um, this is fun thing Duke lose. Um, I have not been able to get into college football so much. I mean, not football, college basketball this season. Uh, just time and I'm always late watching these games, but I don't know. It's just fun watching Duke lose. I don't care. It's cool. <laughs> I'll second that uh, that sentiment. Um, just going to bring you back in before we actually talk about uh, Kansas losing. Um, LeVar Ball decided mm-hmm. to pull LeAngelo Ball out of UCLA. Uh, Le- uh, LeAngelo Ball, of course, and his two teammates were under indefinite suspension after their shoplifting incident in China. Um, so LeVar Ball has hired uh, Lonzo Ball's agent for LeAngelo and LaMelo, and now he hopes that they can play together overseas. Mm-hmm. So UCLA no longer has a LeVar Ball problem. Steve Offert is probably going to be able to, you know, keep the gray out of his hair from arriving five years earlier than it would have. But do oh. you think that this is going to work out for the Ball family? Um, I'm sure they'll find a way just because the personality, like the show that comes behind it, even though it's not really one that teams – would like to have it bring it gets the people going it brings the people to the seats like what the heck will lavar ball say next what will these characters do and although i don't think the other sons are i mean what's it called what's the middle one's name again leangelo leangelo yes talented but not nba talented and i don't know about that younger one he's, the, he's okay too the younger one is supposed to be like the one so he's supposed to be the one okay right um yeah i think it'll be a great show to see what happens. Um, I'm happy for UCLA because now they can recruit without the headaches. And you know what we're going to do with the little LeVar Ball situation. But I think it's just, it's going to be more of a show rather than what the sons, the younger two boys can do. All right, Dwayne, um, you know, we've seen some guys like um, Brandon, what was my man's name? Jennings. Yeah, Brandon Jennings uh, went overseas uh, to skip uh, college to get his eligibility, so he went overseas to play. Uh, the young kid uh, who skipped uh, his senior year of high school to go Jeremy play. Jeremy Tyler. Yeah, to go play two years. Jeremy Tyler to go play two years um, over in Europe, and he vanquished, never heard from him again. He's just off the scene. So how big of a risk is this? I mean, like um, Jesse just said, Leangelo is probably the least talented of the ball brothers while uh, LaMelo is probably has the most upside. So, you know, can this work out to get LiAngelo, which is the whole goal is to try to get LiAngelo uh, into the N- NBA? It's not going to work unless LeVar has some kind of ownership stake or some kind of say in making sure his boys get the right amount of play. And he gets, uh, if it's not working, if he doesn't like the coach, it's not going to work. And that's what happened with um, LaMelo getting pulled out of Chino Hills because they got a new coach who was not going to cage the LeVar ball, and he pulled him out. Same with LiAngelo. LeVar thought it was time to bring him back into the fold at UCLA. Steve Alford was going to do it on his time, and LeVar was not happy, and he left. And pretty much teams overseas are not going to play that. There's going to be teams in the 
G League, the formerly the D League in the NBA, that aren't going to play that. So, good luck. Maybe you can find something in Australia or Canada. I'm sure they got a basketball league that they can join and LeVar can put his input in. But it's not going – it hasn't historically worked out. We've, that's why a lot of kids just go and be one-and-dones in college, even though that's about to come to an end too. The best route for Leangelo, even though he's going to be the eighth man on the bench at UCLA or ninth or tenth, is probably – trying out for a G League team, go go to the G League showcase um, in early 2018 and see how that goes and go from there. All right. Before we leave college, let's talk about your Kansas Jayhawks to win as they got shocked. Arizona State comes into the fall and beats them. Uh, they, you know, basically had you guys down big. You guys rallied to fight back, but, of course, you know, not quite enough. Uh, Arizona State holds on for the 10-point victory. Um, just kind of the young upstart Arizona State team coached by Bobby Hurley. Um, you know, all kinds of streaks are coming down because, you know, you guys don't lose non-conference games at Fog uh, that often. So i just talk about what you saw today and uh, kind of going forward, uh, what this loss kind of does for your team. Is this a blueprint going forward or just a bad day? Bill Self said it best, and I do agree with him. And this is actually the second loss this week, so – Kansas is going to take a tumble down the rankings because they lost to Washington at home. Well, not well at quote unquote home in Kansas City at the Sprint Center earlier this week. And Bill Self said Bill Self put that on him because he didn't properly adjust to the zone and he took accountability for that loss. But this loss was on the players because there's no mental toughness. Um, you got seven two Yudoka Azubuki. He's playing like a marshmallow man. You got Devontae Graham, who's the senior of the team, he's got to be the guy. And, you know, I know he I know he learned a lot from Frank Mason last year, and he's supposed to be that type this year, and he's not really taking that leadership role as he should. Neither is Svee Mihailuk. And also, Kansas is really rotating seven or eight players, and I think maybe the fatigue is getting to them. But Bill Sell did call them soft. He said this is probably the softest team he's had. Um, since he's been at Kansas, and I can see why he said that. There's, they do have to get tougher. Um, they do need to get it together because there's still very good competition in the Big Twelve. Iowa State's not going anywhere. West Virginia's not going anywhere. TCU, coached by Jamie Dixon, is really up there now. They're not the punching bag of the Big Twelve anymore, and. So they really have to get it together, especially if they want to win a 14 straight conference title. Doing it in this kind of fashion is not good. And, you know, they, they just got to find something to get it together over the rest of the season if they want to make some kind of noise in the national tournaments. All right. Over in the NBA, um, Jaleel Okafor finally got traded. This has been an ongoing story, kind of underlying the Philadelphia 76ers season as, you know, he's kind of been the odd man out in the process. Well, he got traded over to the Brooklyn Nets to kind of start his career over again, get a new start. Um, so hopefully, you know, Jaleel Okafor can find a spot in the Nets rotation. Um, Dwayne, do you think that this uh, this will be a good spot for him? Are they, you know, uh, running a system 
that will cater to his offensive skills and maybe do enough to hide him on defense? Probably, but it's going to be depending on his attitude because he went from one situation where he really didn't want to be there to another situation where he's likely going to not want to be there. So it's really going to be how his attitude is. I'm sure he's been healthy and just a healthy scratch for a lot of the time he's been in Philadelphia because he didn't want to be part of the process. We all saw that when he threw his jersey down on the day he got picked up by the Sixers and met with the media and everything. It just looked like he really just did not care to be there or want to be there. So uh, he's going to a young team in Brooklyn, much like he was in Philadelphia. I just don't know if it will be a good fit. We'll have to see how it goes, but his work ethic and attitude is going to play a big factor. Okay. Jesse, I'll bring you in for our last NBA topic. Derrick Rose looks like he's, you know, figured out, you know, what's been going on with him. And he looks like he's set to return to the Cavs. Now the Cavs are in the midst of an epic winning streak. LeBron James is, you know, right now playing some of the best basketball he's played in his whole career. Um, his numbers from the three-point line are higher than they've ever been. His assist numbers are higher than they've ever been. Rebounds are up. Points are about the same. So, um, you know, is Derrick Rose coming back into the fold going to mess up their chemistry? Or is this, you know, now that they've got it rolling, one more, you know, bullet in the chamber for them to overtake Boston in the playoffs? Because this is, you know, what this is all for. Um, I don't really think he's going to be the one to, like, mess up chemistry just because he's been playing so lit, like so few minutes that I don't really think that's concern. Um, it's great that he's back, uh, I guess, from – whatever he was dealing with. I don't want to speculate or anything, but I don't really think he is, will do enough to be like, oh, they will contend or, oh, this will make them all the, all the better. But, you know, hey, get, get your stuff together and come back. That's cool, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, last week, you know, we were definitely hoping that D. Rose would find his clarity and, uh, you know, whatever decision he made would be one that he would be at peace with. And so it looks like in a couple of weeks, they'll kind of get him back into the fold and uh, and playing again. Now, Dwayne, I'll bring you into some just miscellaneous NBA topics uh, right quick. Um, the Celtics continue to play very well, um, even though they did get beat on basically a, a last-second shot by Mario Ginobili. Um, it's amazing what San Antonio has been able to do. They've weathered the storm without having Tony Parker for most of the season. Um, what's this with Kawhi Leonard, man? I mean, we're <laughs> we're not that far from the All Star break, and he hasn't played one minute. So, um, it's, it, uh, what's the prognosis? I know the squad thing has been lingering since training camp. They didn't think it was going to take three months, but I mean, this is where we're at. So, kind of you know your thoughts on the Spurs uh, contending without Kawhi and a possibility for him returning. Well, it's all due is all due to Greg Popovich and his coaching style, the system that the Spurs have had. You can just plug people in and if they follow the system, the system works. And also well, Marcus Aldridge, I think adjusting to San Antonio cuz there was reports of him not being happy last season that they're making the jump to San Antonio and him being more unselfish and kind of falling into the system and embracing it. And the Spurs are the Spurs. You can't just write them off because they don't have their superstars. They always find people to plug in their holes and 
people come through. Uh, Ginobili, of course, is still the constant there right now on the current team. Patty Mills has been great. Uh, you also got to give credit to Danny Green as well. And and once Kawhi gets back, we'll see how we'll see how it it goes. I think that they'll be even better. And you know, it's taking a long time. Um, I know they probably figured get him as 100% as possible. So they really haven't had to rush him coming back. And that's been beneficial to their success. Jesse, I'm going to give you one more NBA question about your Washington Wizards. Uh, uh, John Wall has been injured. He's had dealing with some knee issues. So he's been kind of in and out of the lineup. So that's given uh, Bradley Bill mostly and Otto Porter some more shots and chances to flourish. And I uh, just talk about uh, them, even though they haven't gotten the victories, they probably should have um, what you've seen from Bill and Otto Porter stepping up in John Wall's absence. Definitely needed if they were going to stay a contender in the East, even though the East is uh, the show in itself and not a very good one at that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I don't really have much to say other than that. Because if, I mean, I remember when John Wall was injured, I'm like, okay, Bradley Beal can step into that John Wall position, but who's going to step into that Bradley Beal? And for a minute there, it looked real shaky, especially when they lost by 42. I want to say the Pistons, but I'm not sure. They lost by 40 to somebody because they didn't follow that formula. And then they lost by one to the Clippers. But it's okay because I think they're rebounding and everything should be right with the world. But if they want to keep that up, I don't really see you – no, know, knee injuries are tricky. So even when John Wall does come back, you're going to have to have that someone who pay, plays, you know, not just the Robin, even though I know he – Bradley Bill will not be happy about calling him Robin to the Batman. But you need another two, set of players to step up and take that – role in order to make a meaningful contribution and be about something in the East. All right. Just a reminder that this episode of Know the Score is being brought to you by Amazon. It's the Christmas season. Shopping is, you know, being done, especially online. And you can support the podcast and get your Christmas shopping done by going to www.cspn.us, scrolling down to where it says support the podcast, clicking on the Amazon tab, doing your shopping for all your Christmas needs through Amazon, and a little bit of your purchase will come back to CSPN to help keep another score free each and every week. So please, Amazon.com through CSPN.us, do it today. Final bit of news comes from baseball. The hot stove is piping hot as we had the Marlins trade not one, but two of their all-stars as D Gordon, who two years ago won the batting championship got traded to the Seattle Mariners and Giancarlo Stanton, this year's home run King National League MVP got traded to the dreaded New York Yankees. Now, Jesse, a lot of people say that this is just a uh, conspiracy theory because, you know, the Marlins are now owned by Derek Jeter. And the biggest move that Jeter has made since they've come into, you know, a new team is they're trying to cut costs, of course. Uh, Stanton has the $275 million contract. Gordon was also very highly paid. So they're trying to, you know, get their debt down so they can, you know, get their roster where they can maybe turn a little bit of a profit and then maybe start going after some players of their own. So how dangerous does this make the New York Yankees next year? Now you've got Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, they are basically the modern-day 
Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. I'll talk about how deadly they'll be once Giancarlo Stanton waves that no trade clause. Because until then, this ain't happening. And I have like it's I mean, it'd be it'd be dangerous for all of baseball if this did happen, just because like you said, you have Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton on the same team, but for a a club like the New York Yankees that love a splash announcement of, of acquiring a really high-profile talent, it's been almost two days. And we haven't heard anything. So is this really happening or not? From all reports that I've seen that it, it actually has gone down and that the Yankees were one of the teams that Stanton would uh, drop the no-trade clause for. So basically, I guess they're just trying to go through whatever details the MLB needs to you know, make it official. Dwayne, your thoughts on, um, you know, the Marlins um, going back to being the Marlins, um, you know, they had gotten to a position where they had spent some money. They thought that this year was going to be their year, but they're going to make the playoffs and contend for the division. But, um, you know, it started off tragically um, with uh, Alex Fernandez getting killed in the offseason. And, you know, I think that really took a toll on just the psyche of the team and, and they never really got out of first gear as far as the season uh, went, but they did have excitement with Stanton, uh, you know, chasing 70 home runs, bringing people to the ballpark. And now that's not going to be there this year. So uh, how does this affect the Marlins on the field? And they can maybe talk about the Yankees too. Well, it's going to suck for the Marlins and Marlins fans. It's going to be great for the NL East because that's one less team to worry about as a Mets fan. I'm happy about that. Um, I mean, they just that, like you said, they never got it in gear after the horrible death of Jose Fernandez, and and the fact of the matter with the new owners who pretty much are going to be the feeder organization of the New York Yankees. Sorry, it's the Mets fan to me talking at the moment. I just can't get away from John Carlos Stanton. I got thought, you know, maybe if he goes to another American League team or any team for that matter. You know, I could deal with that. He could even went to the evil Dodgers, who are like the Yankees of the National League right now. But he is going to the evil empire. And not only do you have the possibility of him and Aaron Judge, you also got to add Gary Sanchez to the mix. You don't have just Maris and Mantle. You have a freaking murderer's row, like the days of Ruth and Gehrig and other guys who were able to hit many home runs over the years. It's just, and, you know, with the Subway Series, I'm still going to have to deal with Giancarlo Stan. so it's not fair. Mets fans just cannot win in life at all, so that's my take on that. And apparently the press conference will be held tomorrow. Who all knew? right, there we go. Uh, um, in other baseball news, the Japanese Babe Ruth show Otani signs with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, there was basically a bidding war for his services. Um, he struck out a lot of the East Coast teams like the Yankees and the Nationals and the Orioles and teams, Phillies, teams like that early. Um, traditionally, like most Japanese players, um, they usually are more set up for the West Coast teams. So, you know, the Mariners and the Dodgers and the Angels uh, seem to, you know, kind of have the inside track. And it's the Angels who want him. And Mike Sosa says they plan to use him as a pitcher and as a designated hitter. Now, he's called the Babe Ruth of Japan because he might be a better pitcher than he is a hitter. And, you know, he's basically able to shut you out and hit three home runs in one game. So, um, this is going to be just all kinds of, um, you know, media circus. Um, this might actually be bigger than when Ichiro uh, came over. 
um, when he was known as just the best hitter, pure hitter in Japan to come over to the uh, United States. So, Jesse, do you know anything about uh, Mr. Otani? Have you followed the situation uh, leading up to him signing with the Angels? So I know that he's going to be a pitcher and a designated hitter. Am I correct in that assessment? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, you know, it's hasn't Los Angeles been the place where everyone goes to die? Yes, the Angels was where you can get paid and, you know, land in obscurity, not make the playoffs, and don't really hear a lot of grief about it. This is true. Okay. It's just, oh, I mean, congratulations to the guy for getting paid. But, man, that's just a weird spot to go um, just because there are so many free agents who are getting so much money, and it's just not, I don't know. Uh, I, it's it's an interesting place to go. I'll leave it at that. That's a big media market, so that's a plus for him. One, true, um, yeah. LA to Japan is a relatively short flight. You know, there's a lot of flights in and out from LAX to Japan, so the media from Japan can access him um, very easily. Um, now, I don't know if that does anything for the Angels as far as on-field product goes, because um, you know. They're a little bit older in their infield. Their pitching staff hasn't necessarily been that good the past few years. But, I mean, this guy has a the unique ability to maybe fix both things in one player. So, Dwayne, have you followed uh, the Satani saga and kind of what are your thoughts on the latest uh, import coming over uh, to Major League Baseball? Hmm. Okay. So, I do have to say that he will fix – their pitching woes. The Angels have had very, very bad pitching, and they can't keep a starter for anything. If their lives depended on it, they probably would not be here right now. Um, I think that you also got to look at the offensive side. You, you're going to have Mike Trout and Otani. That's not a good thing for opposing pitchers. So. If you want to try to pitch around Trout, you're going to get Otani. Or if you try to pitch around Otani, you're going to get Trout. And then let's not forget that Albert Pujols, who for some odd reason is still wanting to play baseball, is trying to lose weight so he can play first base and not be a DH anymore. Which, if he does get healthy enough to not be the Pujols in Los Angeles and reverts to the Pujols that we knew in St. Louis, the Angels can score a lot of runs possibly. But we'll just... We'll have to do what we always do and just wait and see how it plays out. It's, I think that the Angels will contend. You know, they were pretty much in contention for the wild card most of last season. And we're not, they're not on the level of the Houston Astros by any means or stretch of the imagination. I don't think anybody in the AL West is right now. And, but this will, possibly get them into the wild card game and then maybe into the division series. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. It's going to be really fun uh, to see this guy start as a starting pitcher and be like the DH through the whole game too. So it's going to be, you know, a lot of intrigue and uh, especially the, uh, you're going to see a lot of angels games on television, especially to start the season. So I have a lot of eyes on him and uh, good luck to uh, the Japanese Bay Brute show Atani. So at this point, I'm going to open it up to Miss Jessie for her final thoughts and maybe um, to a topic that we did not get a chance to cover today that she'd like to talk about. Okay, so earlier today, um, so Tom Savage got hit. It appears that he had a seizure of some sort. 
So they evaluate him. I think he went back in the rink game briefly, then they took him out, but yet he was allowed to drive home by himself. Um, if that's not proof the NFL doesn't care about these players, I don't know what is. Um, I don't really believe in what they call, this from what I've learned about traumatic brain injuries, um, they, they're not something that happens for a moment. It's lingering. It's there. So, I mean, the NFLs talk a lot about heads up, but it seems that they are not giving the same kind of, not, they don't care about their players at the end. And as much as they say they do, um, there's a lot of lip service going on there. And as we've seen with this whole, and like you let your player drive home after you seized up on the field as he did. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I um, a youth uh, director of the football league. Uh, his high school son got a concussion and drove home. And yeah, the headlights. The doctor said by him driving home, trying to concentrate and looking at those headlights. Uh, caused a lot of damage to him as well. So, yeah, it's a very, very dangerous situation, um, you know, for him to be allowed to drive and especially, you know, in the time of day it was, that game ended uh, over in the evening. So I'm pretty sure, you know, headlights and things like that were definitely affecting him. So hopefully um, he doesn't have any ill effects from that concussion. But, yeah, that's very scary. Dwayne, your final thoughts or shout-outs? Well, my final thought was I was watching the Merseyside Derby Premier League soccer today, and Liverpool got hosed on an egregious penalty, which ended up being a a 1-1 draw, but it really should have been um, a 1-0 victory, maybe even 2-0. But uh, I've never seen somebody literally take a dive after a light touch and – the ref who is 50 yards down the field calls a penalty. And it's like, how are you able to see that? And how are you able to let the away crowd influence you into calling the penalty? I thought it was a bad call. And that really just changed the whole momentum of the game and really took the wind out of Liverpool's sales. So bad call. Ref, ref suck. And I'll leave it at that. All right. I'd like to congratulate Baker Mayfield on winning the Heisman Trophy. Uh, this past year. So congratulations to him. Um, so all the Oklahoma fans, uh, I guess, you know what that means in the playoff game. He will probably play like trash. And I'll give a shout out to the Buffalo Bills and the Indianapolis Colts for playing in a foot of snow uh, this afternoon. That was a very entertaining 10, uh, four, 13 to 7 game that went to the, you know, very last minute of overtime. Uh, Shady McCoy with a 22-yard touchdown run to win it in overtime for the Buffalo Bills, who somehow, through all their mismanagement of their quarterback situation, are still alive to try to make the playoffs. So, shout out to the Buffalo Bills and playing in the snowstorm. So, for That's So Jesse and the Libra Icon, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. 